Hi, welcome to This Property Life. My name is Mark Winship. I am an active property investor and mentor, and this week I am chatting to the awesome Rick Blaney. Rick won't enjoy me saying any of this because he's incredibly humble about what he and his wife, Sarah, have achieved in the world of property over the past few years. They continue to go quietly about smashing their own life and investment goals, whilst also finding the time to educate and inspire hundreds of other property investors along the way. This is an invaluable opportunity for you to hear all about their investment journey. Rick talks to us about how he got started in property, the strategies that they have used to scale, including their more recent move into the world of service accommodation and hotels, and what it was like behind the scenes to feature on the hit Channel 4 series, Four in a Bed. I know you're going to love this episode, so let's hear now from Rick Blaney. Hi, Rick. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it's good to see you. Where where in the world are you? You're down on the sunny south coast? I am. Well, it's uh, not well, it's sunny today, but a bit blustery. But yeah, we're down uh, in uh, the New Forest uh, in Lymington. So yeah, right down sort of just uh, opposite the Isle of Wight. Fantastic. And um, our listeners should know that, So, so you and I met God, what must it be? Four or five years ago? Five years ago, maybe now. Probably it's five plus now, isn't it? Yeah. Along was at uh, at a, a property property event, and um, you know, we shared a few war stories, and turned out we invested in the similar area to each other. And I remember thinking at the time that um, you know you were you know many many steps ahead of where where we were in our investment journey, but. Um, you know, I, I remember being impressed that you would be so humble and so generous with your time and expertise. And fast forward four or five years, you know, a TV celebrity and bona fide hotelier and property <laughs> has changed you, right? right? It's changed you. <laughs> no, I mean, um, yeah, it's interesting you say that, Mark, because actually, um, you know, if you look back, you know, we were probably probably only maybe 18 months if that ahead of you but I think when you're starting out um in in property and and doing it sort of more as a full-time activity that can be quite daunting you know um one of the things that you know we we teach you to do or you're taught or, or you know a great practice to get into is network and network around people that are operating at a higher level than you um when you start doing that it can seem very daunting yeah. but also I think that very quickly you can close that gap um and you know our um from starting in similar positions you know we we and you have diversified into different areas and now there's a, a kind of a quid pro quo isn't there where you know we you know we'll call each other and and, and swap information or ask for information or contact so um yeah so I, I guess my first you know um i guess nugget is that you know if you are starting out in property network around people um, that are operating where you want to be you know i think if you yeah. can be around people who are sort of 12 18 months of you know people that you aspire to then that's a good place to start yeah isn't it funny as well because it did turn out that we invested in the same kind of area and actually on the same sort of strategy and i think sometimes people feel a little bit threatened when they discover that oh, there's actually other people doing what I'm doing in my area. And, you know, maybe I should keep them, you know, at arm's distance. They're the competition. But I know, I, th- I think we probably see it the same. I, I know we've always seen so many more benefits and advantages to networking and working with people close to you and keeping them close to you and sharing knowledge and best practice and everything else, rather than viewing that as, as competition. 
Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I come from a place of abundance, and I think that um, you know, lots of people want to get into property. You know, yeah. if you go and have a, a chat down the pub with somebody, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. There's so many, you know, could have, would have, should have conversations that go on. Um, so I'm quite happy to, you know, to chat to somebody and, and see where, you know, that, you know, that shared experience will go um, and knowledge and networks and all the rest of it. Um, there are a lot of people who think about it and never do anything about it. So, so my um, thoughts on it, you know, being an entrepreneur or uh, self-employed or whatever you want to call it can be quite lonely if you want to be quite insular yeah. and, and do it all on your own. Mm. And you've got nobody to share your experiences with or to, you know, bounce ideas off of and also have somebody that's operating at a higher level. Who are you going to ask? Um, mm. So I, I think that's where I come from. And um, there's there's. There's a lot of space in every market because, you know, we're trying to do this, uh, you know, professionally as a business um, and not as a sort of a, you know, hobbyist when it comes to doing property. Cool. Okay, brilliant. So we'll probably pick up on some of that stuff as we go through. But let's let's go back to the bit. In fact, let's go back to before the beginning. Let's go back to life before property for you. And what what did that look like? What were you doing? And what was the impetus, I guess, for you to start down that road and um, and, and start investing in property? Yeah, so I suppose our background. So myself, and my wife, Sarah, we invest together. Um, and, you know, getting to where we are now is, is like, you know, for anybody, um, quite a, a long story. Um, we worked in the corporate arena. Uh, we lived in Australia and Melbourne and I had a, a really you know, good job over there, worked in corporate recruitment, had quite a big uh, job uh, in a US corporate and I really enjoyed it. So through my early 20s and, and sort of, you know, sort of uh, early 30s, you know, I was used to getting promoted, um, you know, every 18 months into a bigger role and uh, more responsibility, more money and, you know, a really, really good six figure salary. Uh, we were living the dream. We'd, we'd gone traveling for 18 months and, and we're living the dream in, in, in Australia. Um, we decided to come home. We, we'd been away for about sort of seven years and it felt like the right time to come back. Um, and unfortunately, <laughs> we arrived back in, in uh, the UK just as Northern Rock went pop and uh, came back for um, a new job, which which involved um, some sweat equity. So earning into the business um, at really completely the wrong time. And um, so I, I was working in London. We had, uh, you know, kids on the way. We'd started a family. And, and you know, if anyone can remember those times, um, yeah, it was a struggle. You know, I recruited staff in the accounting and finance space in a, a period of time when the market was was really, really flat. Um, so it's a long story to a short question. How do we end up doing properties? But Sarah and I, I think, realized at that point that we were sort of frustrated entrepreneurs. And regardless of the market, and I look at the market experience and think actually did me a massive favor. Uh, I didn't want to work for somebody else, but I didn't know it at the time. So Sarah and I end up opening our own company um, again, doing what we knew, which was recruitment. But historically, we'd always done and dabbled in property. I bought my first uh sort of investment property nearly 20 years ago now it was always a sideline hustle you know a lot running alongside the day job and we'd always done okay you know buying renovating holding real amateur stuff you know sold a few bits and pieces you know made good money and it was always like look I seem to be making really good money at this if I could do more of this and had the time 
I'd be doing even better, but I don't have the time because I've got my day job. Mm. So yeah, having started our own company and now not working for anyone else, and it was, you know, it was a real sort of, you know, um, myself and Sarah, there was two employees. We were both the employees and the owners. Um, and that was great, but it was also quite stressful being the, um, you know, the owner of the business and the employee. Yeah. And actually, I'd outgrown what we were doing um, and realized very quickly that we didn't want to do that that career. So again, it's a long, long answer. Um, and, and really, I guess, circumstances led us down to look, we've always enjoyed property, I've always had the, this idea that uh, I, I would do something in that arena. Um, and being self-employed allowed us to have that time and freedom. So, okay, right, let's diversify. I can run my business on the side, but diversifying into property. And then eventually property took over and became the, the, the main thing. We were living in, in Hertfordshire at the time in Watford, and uh, we decided to look at investment areas where we knew. So we looked at the university towns that we'd studied in, and very quickly we, we zeroed in and Liverpool and Merseyside, <clears throat> excuse me, um, where, where I'd studied and uh, that's where you and I sort of met yeah um, you know on the on the streets or as it were um in, in Liverpool <laughs> yeah absolutely so what what was it then I mean it's still it seems like a, it was a a sort of fairly logical transition for you having had a little bit of having and we were the same actually having dabbled in renting out property previously um albeit in a sort of you know just as a side hustle like you say what was it that gave you the confidence really to decide that you're going to gear up and and do this as a professional business as it were i mean i say to, to people i i was lucky that i had a, a bad situation that turned into a good situation i think for a lot of people that are, are perhaps you know operating in, in the in the middle lane you know they're kind of comfortable at work earning good money quite enjoy what they do or don't dislike it enough to want to make a, a, a change i had been through you know a change of, of um well i guess circumstances and i really didn't enjoy what i was doing i'd outgrown the company it was nothing to do with my industry it was just that i'd been doing it for too long and you know 15 years in a, in a fairly cutthroat um profession which i really didn't enjoy and it was nothing against my colleagues but i i didn't seem to share any of the same I, I guess, you know, wants, needs, desires, the, the visions and values anymore. I, I kind of outgrown that. So for me, I was uh, looking to do something different. So I find in property that you've got sort of two, I guess, schools of thought. You know, people are either very driven towards something by having a really clear end goal, you know, something that really motivates them to, you know, to, to strive for gold every time. Or people are running away from something, something yeah. that is so abhorrent to them that they, they just don't want to do it and I was lucky to be in that second camp where I really didn't like what I was doing mm. I needed to find something different to, to be successful I had, still had plenty of drive and determination I just needed to re-channel my efforts and I think realistically having started our, our first company and, and you know it's really scary so for anyone who's out there who's you know used to getting a paycheck and um, and you know the pension and the, the, the holiday and all the rest of it it's quite scary to step away from that, but it's also very, very, um, I guess, enlightening to actually step mm. away and cut the ties and all of a sudden have that freedom, you know, having never put a, a holiday form into anyone in, you know, kind of probably getting on for 10 years now. It's, it's yeah. really refreshing and I love that, um, you know, having to, to, to be able to do things on your own terms. So having done that, you know, once you get that entrepreneurial 
um, drive about you, it's very easy to think, oh, well, I could do something else. I've got time now. I can do it on my terms. I can run down this business and I can, you know, ramp up the, the property side of things. So really choice. Um, and I think particularly, you know, in hindsight, what's riskier given the last couple of years, um, you know, with, you know, all the, um, you know, COVID stuff, um, yeah. you know, where's job security now? Who, who's, who's better off being self-employed or employed? I'm, I'm not sure really. Yeah, that's, that's very true. Um, so what was your strategy starting out and how, how long, down that road did it did it take for you to free yourself from from that that life that you didn't enjoy so how long did it take you to achieve that kind of financial security do you think well the way we looked at it was was very much that sarah and i were both working in, in the business we didn't work full time to be fair we were probably earning good money um uh, you know doing probably three and a half days a week so we already had sort of a day there where we could you know, and, and at the time it was like, look, I don't really want to do five days in this job because I don't enjoy it. You know, so it was like, OK, I was getting fit and, and having lots of free time and whatnot. But I, I needed somewhere else to challenge myself. So immediately we had perhaps a day each. And the way we looked at it was that the sooner we could start doing deals and getting cash flow in from property, the sooner, you know, one of us could leave the, the day job. Yeah. Um, so we looked at staff, we, you know, refinanced a few of our existing um, properties and personal. We, um, you know, raised some money quite quickly and realised that, you know, doing HMOs was was a good starting place. You know, we were going to have to do too much volume um, in the sort of buy to let market. So, yeah, very quickly um, within, you know, I guess probably the first 18 months that 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 had started, we've moved from buy to lets doing you know, six bed, you know, HMOs um, in and around Liverpool, Merseyside, um, yeah. mixture of, um, you know, professional and also student. Again, we weren't doing anything original. We just hit the streets and, and saw what everyone else was doing. Uh, there, you know, seemed to be a good model up there at the time. Um, you know, picked a couple of areas that worked and, and then, yeah, we, we, we got busy. Um, you know, when you, you're looking at the cash flows on HMOs uh, and you can bring in, you know, six, seven, eight, 900 pound cash flow from one property and um, you don't yeah. need too many of those to give yourself a day or two off your day job yeah and that's exactly how how we went about it just building those um those pots of money finding the deals doing it repeating it and, and doing it again and presumably that came became quite a cookie cutter exercise for you that that strategy certainly as you built that foundation right yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, you know, my advice to anyone in property um, is is do find a strategy that works for you and then repeat it. Mm. I think too often people try and do too much too soon or spread themselves too thinly. So that could be too many areas or too many different strategies in the same area or both. Um, yeah. That you know, it, just try and do something well, get good at it, and then you know, maybe transfer that to a different area or then maybe do something different in that area. So you're diversifying, you know, your investment strategies. Um, and as I say, it's, it's much easier than trying to do service accommodation and HMOs and buy-to-lets and, uh, you know, commercial to residential in two different areas. It's it's um, very um, difficult to, to be good at all of those things. Yeah. And the temptation sometimes is to think that the grass is always greener on the other side, isn't it? And that bigger has to be better. And, um, you know, that that's, what about this strategy and that strategy? And, and, and actually you end up just bouncing around and, and being a bit of a jack of all trades and a master of none, I guess. 
Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that's the the great thing about networking, and also the danger of it. You know, you can go and chat to people and go, oh wow, they're doing, you know, doing some amazing stuff around serviced offices. I do HMOs. Yeah, there's not too much different. You know, break up an office, turn that into individual units, and so on and so forth. Maybe I could uh, could do something in that arena. And um, yeah, it's um, it's very easy to be distracted. You think, well, look great that you're networking with these guys and girls and, and looking into what they're doing learn from it but is it your strategy because it's very easy to do the shiny penny syndrome where you yeah. get distracted from the main job and you know you were supposed to be looking at bytelets in grimsby and next thing you find yourself looking at a hotel in gloucester do you know what i mean it's like not in your strategy be good at what you're doing learn it always be looking i think one step ahead you know try and you know add to your repertoire as it were but just always think you know um you know i've seen it's amazing you know amazing people in in the property world you know building out the ground building skyscrapers i don't want to do that it's not mm. not you know not sort of stuff that that interests me um but um you have to work out what works for you and, and what you need i think it all goes back to why are you doing property what yeah. is your end goal um and yeah. keep it simple you know if you yeah. need to earn you know, let's say, I don't know, £5,000 from property or £10,000 from property, you know, what's the, the path of least resistance to you getting there? Yeah. You know, if you go and do a, a big commercial development that's going to take three years in planning, it might make you 15 grand, but it could, you know, it could eat you up. Um, buy up your time and energy for two or three years before you even see any kind of return on it, yeah. Correct, and and actually whilst you're doing that, you could have been doing some nice simple buy-to-let deals and, and some service accommodation, for instance, you know, yeah. that could have been just chipping away at that, you know, £10,000 cash flow that you're looking for uh, by yeah. doing, you know, three or four deals a year in that three years, and you actually achieve the same result doing, doing it, you know, taking a different path. Yeah, you mentioned at the start having an abundance mindset and um, – you know, which is all about looking for opportunities and maybe even finding opportunities where other people aren't, aren't, aren't seeing them and things like that. But do you think it's also just as much about saying no to things and knowing what not to do? Because there are so many opportunities out there. There are so many different ways to go about making money from property. Um, and I, I often find that actually the biggest challenge is, is knowing what to rule out. Well, yeah, and, and particularly if you, you know, I, I like the thrill of the chase. I like looking at, yeah. you know, difficult scenarios, finding problem properties and problem situations and, and trying to fix them. Um, the danger is that you find yourself, you know, with a, you know, a head torch on poking around in an old bank thinking, I'm not really sure why I'm here, you know, and I've, I've done that, you know, back in early on, you know, trying to, you know scale up from you know residential to look at commercial it's really interesting but you gotta think look is this a great use of my time um you know i see it all the time you know someone will say you know during the networking oh, you know um i've just looked at you know, this hospital what do you think i can do with it i'm like well if you're asking that question then you probably shouldn't be looking at it yeah you know? <laughs> yeah yeah it makes sense so okay so tell us about how you have moved on so you started out in hmos so how have things moved on since then how have you moved well maybe you haven't moved on from hmos so what does your strategy and portfolio look like now compared to where you started out yeah so again you know the hmos were um were a good starting point we then um did a couple of you know little developments in in sort of uh, bedfordshire area where we lived um nearby 
uh, did some sort of flats um, basement conversions we then looked at some sort of multi-units where we were buying you know um, multiple flats in in one uh, in, in one transaction um, did some stuff there we then moved into some uh, commercial to, to residential and um, you know often I think you talk to people and they say right you know they they think to be successful in property you need to have 100 front doors you know so 100 houses 100 buy to lets you know cash flowing x that will get me my my end number and um, you sort of say to people well you, that's 100 transactions that you've got to do you know the reason we went into HMOs was well actually you can do you know six seven eight front doors in, in one transaction yeah um, but by the same token, your, your buy-to-let properties will always be uh, less uh, time-consuming because you've got one person living in the one front door, so they yeah. tend to treat it more as a home. HMOs are great, but they can be time-consuming. Um, they can be maintenance-heavy. So you get to a point where you've got enough, um, I guess, HMO tenants. We diversified, so we realised that having, you know, all students, um, you know, was was perhaps a little bit risky just in case the student market moved in Liverpool at the time there was a lot of um, building of, of pods and, and the universities were investing quite heavily in doing their own stuff so we had one eye on the future thinking well maybe we should diversify so we diversified area um, looking more broadly um, around uh, Liverpool um, you know and, and wider Merseyside across in the Wirral um and then we wanted to get into service accommodation that was a, an interesting move for us so the next sort of natural move was like look let's see if we can do service accommodation um and we started looking at some of the houses that were you know right for hmo conversions think well actually can we do something in service accommodation and i found myself um just moving further and further up up the coast from liverpool um you know going through sort of crosby and waterloo and going a bit further and um yeah found myself in in southport um about three years ago i think three and a bit years ago thinking i really like it i've been there years ago i had a, a mate who lived up there and um, we decided to do service accommodation on a on a bigger scale um yeah. and started looking around at um rundown hotels and guest houses um so again it was a strategy we selected an area that we really liked and then we started looking at the properties yeah and it just so happened that rather than you know I was trying to make an, an SA model out of some of the bigger properties we could find in the area and it just didn't quite stack but then when we went to look at some hotels with C1 use doing something that was almost like a hybrid between SA and hotel seemed to work um, so yeah. that's what we did we went and uh, bought ourselves a, a guest house, as you do. Fabulous. So tell us a bit about that project then. Um, yeah, well, well, the thing is, it, it was a good combination of our, our skills that we wanted to run a business. So a lot of people talk about, you know, property, passive income. I mean, that's a, that's, it's not a thing. It's, uh, you know, good luck if you can find passive income um, in property. There's always something that needs doing in running any business um you know needs input and uh, it needs you to run the business and sarah and i have thought you know we wanted to combine our business brain with the property so yeah we, we saw quite a few properties that seemed to to fit the bill um you know 
uh, I guess, operational. It's a bit like the HMO model, isn't it? You know, you've got yeah. really good HMOs and you've got slightly run down somewhere in between. You know, everyone stayed in a guest house or a hotel and they've got, you know, differing experiences. And we looked at quite a few different. If you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. properties that were were run down and um you know either tired property and or tired owner um because you know the traditional model is that you know your your guest house owner you know lives on site yeah gets up every morning um you know sunshine uh, rain or wind and cooks breakfast for the guests and then has a couple of hours themselves and they all come back you know um and we didn't want to do that um because i thought well we just looked at all the elements of that sort of guest house experience and thought about, well, actually, what do I like about, you know, I know you go to a Premier Inn, you know, other brands are available, you know, you, you know, it's not everyone's cup of tea, but you know what you're going to get. It's very homogenized. It's very, you know, I know that I'm staying in, in a Premier Inn, for instance, in any, um, any town, I know exactly what I'm going to get. Um, and it's funny, sorry to interrupt you, but it's funny. Yeah. Have you seen the latest run of Premier Inn adverts? Um, it, it seems very much that they are recognising the rise of um, this sort of model and the rise of service accommodation and everything because they are spinning exactly what you've just said into a positive and that's now their marketing message is you know exactly what you're going to get. It's the same every time and it seems very much like they are deliberately positioning themselves as the opposite to the kind of Airbnb, you don't know what you're going to get, you know, it's that side of things. I just think it's really interesting that yeah. that looks like a, a clear move on their part to to try and turn that into a positive. And absolutely, because their alternative is they then need to go and bespoke, you know, chain, you know, re reverse engineer all their businesses and make, you know, each of their businesses a little bit different, uh, yeah. a little you know, so their beds are really comfortable, you know, you, you know, so we we kind of went through a list of all the things that, that we liked um, and didn't like, you know, I don't like having to get up in the morning, um, you know, if I, I stayed at sort of a guest house model or even, you know, a smaller hotel where it's like, yeah, breakfast is between 8.45 and 9.15, yeah. <laughs> you miss it, you know, yeah. that time I'm actually done, you, you get to breakfast and you, you know, you're almost like forced into conversation with the owner you know i'm very sociable but you know a lot of the time you might be away for business and you just want to get on with your day um, i might yeah. want to go out exploring um so yeah there's all these elements that we like look don't like that don't like that um don't like the the look and feel of you know I, 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 of going into the, the the property and feeling it's very run down and and dowdy 
and, and knowing that you know it doesn't have to be that way you know because we had an hmo model where rooms were you know you know every time you finish an hmo you'd look at the next one in, on on the the pipeline and, and the the kind of finish level had gone up you know because the tenants were demanding more and more and more so we just thought right well let's see what we can do use that kind of innovation and i guess interior design element and and bring that into into you know the guest house experience you know more often than not you go to a guest house and think god my hmo rooms are like you know yeah. 10 times better than this yeah um, and that's exactly what we did really you know we 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 looked at a big tick list of, of things that we wanted um and needed and and one of the big things was i didn't need to be in the business to make it work yeah and it's there's a real opportunity there as well isn't there because um one of the things you're doing by by going down that road is or, or i guess one of the reason why these uh, guest houses and b&b's run in the traditional way have found certainly the last few years very difficult is that they do live on site they have high staff costs as in you know they need to draw their own living from from the business before you even get to the start line then they might have people coming in to cook breakfast and in-house cleaning teams and all that sort of stuff and and actually you're taking a lot of that away so not only are you converting that ancillary space into more rentable units but you're taking the cost element out of the business so that it's much more economical i guess and if you look at what certainly COVID has done to the hotel industry and the hospitality industry over the last 12 to 18 months. You know, we know that a lot of them had to close for potentially 12 months at a time, which was crippling. Um, so you talk about tired owners. I think there's a lot of, lot of owners, unfortunately, that are in, 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 in real difficulty. And so in that lies an opportunity potentially for this model you're talking about. Yeah, correct. And, and, you know, often the, the as you say, the model would work and, and, you know, it, it's a bit like going to see a terraced house on, on any street. You know, if you're going to see a 115, 120 year old terraced house in, you know, up and down the, the country, they look the same. You know, if you go yeah. to the guest house, a Victorian or Georgian uh, guest house, you know, in, in lots of different towns and cities, they look the same. So the layout's quite similar. Um, so as we say, we, we were finding there was a lot of um, these types of properties with, you know, eight, 10, nine, you know, 15 bedrooms and a space that the the owner lived out the back normally uh, sort of a, a semi-commercial kitchen in the middle and we realized well one we, we you know we live five hours from where where our um, business is based so we weren't going to be living out the back we converted that to um, rentable space we converted the kitchen to an additional room so immediately you were adding you know three four bedrooms in lettable space to, to the property yeah you're taking out the um, often the you, you know you've got options around the the, the kitchen dining room and and uh, and living room if, if they've got one of those not always needed um, but also you don't have to be up there every morning you know, one of our concerns was does you know does the markets want that kind of model um, what if everybody wants to get up in the morning have breakfast um, you know we joke about you know sort of Basil and Sybil you know forty towers type thing um, that was the you know kind of not what, what what we need and not what we wanted and actually when you find with your, your customers if somebody wants that model well there's plenty that they can go and find it and and, and get that model yeah um, you know we make it very clear so we spent lots of money on the automated uh, ability to, to get into the property without us having to be there we installed 
uh, a lock system that is more commonly found in a high-end five-star um, you know resort when when the uh, it was interesting when we installed the lock system uh, the company is a multi-billion pound uh, you know lock company and they said we've never installed our our software and hardware and anywhere this small and they were great to deal with actually they, they treated us you know like it like any other customer um so we've got a neighboring property that's got the same software and hardware i think they've got i know 180 rooms and yeah to our 13. yeah <laughs> um, but not without cost you know we we invested you know in the door system alone i think we spent fourteen thousand pounds yeah so you know it, it comes at a cost but the, the the benefit is that we don't have to be there to cut key cards get people into our our, our rooms and yeah. you know that arrive uh, at a time that suits them you know check in without us needing to be there and how have you found the last few months i think you know a lot of people might be listening to this and going well you you must be crazy launching a you know a hotel concept during covid and uh you know it's how, how has that been how have you found uh, the last 12 months or so yeah well i mean we we, we end up moving from uh, from hertfordshire um, because we didn't need to be there anymore for our for our business and and these conversations were happening sort of pre-covid like through and, and i remember um yeah we completed on the hotel on monday and uh, completed on our own property here on the friday so i ended up doing two moves in a week you know up in, <laughs> in southport on the monday and then down here to, to receive removalists and it was like great um and you know we had we had a really good business model we we uh i think completed in may and spent yeah, probably four or five months uh, converting obviously we didn't know covid was coming who knew who knew the word covid uh, or pandemic uh, three years ago um and yeah we just got going in uh, august uh, and we had sort of really like a nine-month period of things going you know okay and, and actually like right this business model is gonna gonna work really well um, and it's, again like you were saying Mark because a lot of um, owners need to, to try and draw two wages out of us we knew what we would need to get in terms of cash flow yeah and it wasn't our only business so that worked really well we're like look the returns on this are great and um, yeah we were just getting into our stride and then yeah the, the the big c word uh, arrived yeah. yeah so um we joke that we've still been closed more than we've been open we're, we're about 50 50 now um and um yeah i mean it, it was slightly challenging um you know luckily because we got the business grants we we were managing to operate at, at, at i guess a break-even point or a little bit better yeah um and that's really um i i guess because again, it wasn't our only income. We're like, well, look, we haven't made the money that we want to um, during this period of time, but we haven't lost money. Um, and that's the way that we, you know, we kind of um, treated it. And then, yeah, the, the great staycation, when we finally got back and open uh, in April, um, you know, the market, you know, we were sort of nervously waiting to see what's gonna happen. And we've had a really, really um, phenomenal year um, talking to our neighbors who have been, you know, operating in the area. They said it's been the best you know summer period they've had for, for for many a year and i think it's made people fall in love again with the great you know uk staycation um you know doing things we've had people kind of have had to cancel their trip to greece you know their annual holiday um where they you know were going with you know sort of three generations and really interesting we had a repeat 
uh, booking. Someone said we had such a good time in Southport that we've decided to cancel Greece, that we go every year and they've taken the whole place off us. Um, yeah. So that's really, you know, tells us that, you know, the model works. Yeah. Um, I think for a lot of people, it will change their buying habits. You know, people have been to places they would, you know, never really have dreamed before of going because that was what was available. And they're like, actually, this is this is quite good fun. Um, yeah. So I'll tell you what we've noticed as well is because uh, we operate, obviously, service accommodation in a slightly different market, the kind of corporate stays and working travel. And because and um, just just through um fortune i guess in a sense we we went into lockdown with a number of our units that were self-contained uh, and completely um you know self-checking everything else so um we were able to stay open when uh, for key workers anyway when a number of the um the hotels were closing in the area and i think it turned a lot of people on to service accommodation that would otherwise just have defaulted to hotels for work travel as well you know because they can suddenly see that effectively for a similar cost They've got so much more flexibility. You know, they can cook their own meal. They can. They've got their own front door. They don't. And there's that slight nervousness and around sort of, I guess, big communal areas and you know all that side of it is and dining and you know. So we 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 definitely found that that has turned a few people on to service accommodation who might otherwise not have you know utilised it. Yeah, hundred percent. So you know, we, we've we've got um, you know a good footfall of, of what I call corporate customers, um, people that you know will come for business related um, you know stays during the summer. It's 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 mainly kind of um, you know kind of holiday makers. Um, some some you know one hand we've we've gained in some areas. I say more holiday makers in other areas we we've missed out. It's a really um, big golf destination uh, and we've lost all of our american customers that would normally you know, we've had we've had one booking i think we've now had to push over to its third year of of, uh, right. of delay a group of you know 12 golfers coming from denver or you know um that you know still want to come because it's got some you know bit, bit of a plug for southport if you've never been you know it's got you know, some absolutely amazing golf courses if, if you play golf um it's you know one of the uk's premier golf locations and people come from the world over to, to, to stay with us. Um, and we've got um, a good network. We, we had um, during uh, during uh, the summer, we had someone come from a, a US golf magazine, stay with us um, to write a piece um, on, you know, Southport and and, uh, and us at the Stanford. So we're just waiting for that market to come there and come back. Um, also, during that period, the, the conference centre, unfortunately, went into uh, liquidation so we're waiting for that to to be uh renovated and reopened so yeah. again you know there's look i think the whole thing about covid or no covid you know property markets uh and, and business markets uh work in cycles there's yeah. always change coming so you know m my take on it is look, change is good because change gives you an opportunity to do something different you know and yeah. as we see in service accommodation so now you know one of the areas we're looking at is doing more so we've got a self-contained apartment um, that works really well for that type of market that you were mentioning, Mark, you know, people who want more than just a bedroom. So we're looking to do something different where we might take more hotel rooms and turn them into, you know, self-contained, you know, studio type flats, um, you know, within a hotel, you know, because people seem to like that. Yeah, fab. And we, we have to touch on the fact that, that this property and this project has afforded you your, well, slightly more than 15 minutes of fame um in uh four in a bed on on channel four 
how was how was that how did that come about and how was that experience well yeah i mean um very odd basically <laughs> uh, uh, so first of all um they rang us and uh, the conversation went with you know would oh basically they were looking for, for projects in in southport they came across our website and uh said you know oh great yeah love the look of it i said oh well we don't do breakfast. I've never watched Four in a Bed ever. I mean, I've seen it on, you know, I know the concept. Yeah. Um, I've watched that type of TV, but I, you know, I, I've seen it. So I said no. And they said, oh, well, good news. We, we we accept lots of different businesses these days. So I said, Sarah, do you want to, you know, do this? And we both and said Sarah, no. Sarah jumped at it. The absolute, <laughs> this is right up my street. Yeah, quite <laughs> the opposite. Sarah, um, not <coughs> And actually, you know, it's quite weird but you're thinking you're going to be out there and then you start Googling, you know, the, the, the viewing figures on this program. And it's light entertainment, right? Let's let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, daytime TV, but the, the viewing figures, their, um, their social media um, reach is, is massive. So ultimately, we, we decided that there's no such thing as, as bad PR and publicity. And we reluctantly said, well, yes, um, we'll give it a go. And actually, we had, I mean, a little bit of insight into this, you know, it, it's half an hour, um, you know, per per episode. I didn't even know it aired. I thought it was like an hour show and that was it. I didn't know that it went over a full week. So I was learning on the job, as it were. And, um, yeah, you know, to get that half hour's um, worth of, of episode, they're filming you for about 15 hours. Wow. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you have a couple of days off and then you do it all again. So you know a bit of insight it's a two-week commitment i think if we'd have known how much work was involved we probably would have said no um because <laughs> they were long days long 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 days um it's very very well choreographed um if anyone has seen the show um they they like to create a little bit of conflict and a little bit of friction because that's what makes it good tv we got our, along really really well with, with the other guys and we're still in contact on whatsapp um, that may not come across in the show they they it's very well choreographed and um, we had an amazing experience the team um from the show were amazing the people we met were amazing and it gave um you know our, our business you know um you know uh, a little bit of a spotlight um the, yeah. the downside is like people are weird we <laughs> just you know the stuff that happens you know like people posting fictitious um uh, i guess reviews on TripAdvisor. you know we were it was interesting because we were filming it during lockdown and um it was yeah a period where you know we were like sort of trying to put on smiley faces but really not knowing what was going to go on with our business yeah and uh that that was quite um that's quite challenging and then you've got people after you know when it aired you know writing you know pretty um, well, totally bogus re reviews because we were closed. <laughs> um, and uh, you just thought, God, people are so weird. Um, well, you know, people with too much time on their hands during COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you'd get kind of like, you know, kind of keyboard warrior thing. We, in the end, we outsourced all of the sort of um, follow up social media to to an agency because we just couldn't, um, we just couldn't, well, not so much me, but Sarah couldn't cope with the, with the, uh the spotlight on a, on a nice note um i say we made some amazing friends there and um actually connected with a lot of people that you know um just friends really friends that we hadn't seen for years you know who turn on the tv and seen it and you know we've had people that we've reconnected with after many years 
said, I didn't know you were doing that. It's like, you've just popped up on my TV. You know, Sarah had a friend from uni in Hong Kong. We had a friend that we met in New Zealand that came to stay with us. I had a mate in, uh, in Northern Ireland who said, I've just seen you on the TV. Uh, I'm going on uh, on a ski trip with some mates that I hadn't seen for years this year. And they were like, I'm, I'm literally watching you on TV. So it was really quite weird and intense. But um, yeah, Sarah's never watched it. That's quite strange. Um, <laughs> And uh, it is weird. Well. <laughs> yeah, excellent. So, what what's next for you guys? Then is is are you optimistic about that model? Are you looking to do more in that space? What what areas are you looking at next for your uh, for your property business? Yeah, I think um, the, the key to it is diversification. You know, if you've only got one of one thing, then you you're at risk in in whatever you do, whether it's HMOs, whether it's SAs, whether it's hotels or buy to lets. So diversify in area and I guess you know your, your end business. So one of the things for us is looking closer to home. Uh, we want to get um, you know sort of an investment, um, I guess portfolio within sort of 45 minutes of where we live in Lymington. So we're looking at more of that. We've got a commercial to residential um, that we're waiting to start early next year up in uh, in the northwest. We we uh, bought um, an old shop that we're converting into three houses. So that's going to kick off in earnest uh, in the new year. Uh, we're trading some of our HMOs to just, you know, change the, the, the split. I think the serviced accommodation type C1 model is something that we're, we're certainly looking at. Yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, so we're we're focusing on, you know, the usual thing, pipeline, raising money, finding new deals and uh, seeing where next year takes us. Fab. So lastly, and I know uh, from knowing you, I know you're going to find this question quite difficult to answer because you've got so much experience and so many nuggets to share with people. But if you had one piece of advice for anybody starting out in property, I know you started off with the whole networking side, but one piece of advice that you'd give to somebody just starting out on their property journey, what would it be? I would say that um, get your strategy clear first in, in your mind. You know, I, I don't know where the next five years is going to go, but I do know where the next, you know, 12 to 18 months is going to be. So yeah. look 12 to 18 months in the future and work out where you would like to be um, attached to a really, you know, strong sense of, of intent. Why do you want to get there? Because, you know, they're the sorts of things that get you up in the morning, you know, when it's, you know, January and you think, right, I've got to get up there. Uh, look at these these properties. So really, you know, what, why are you doing it? That's that's really important. Um, you know, and just try not to get deviated too much by what everyone else is doing. You know, Instagram, social media, all that kind of stuff is is great. Um, but I'm a big believer in in talking to people. So yeah. just following your nose, seeing what's happening, and and you know, making networks that are going to be you know solid uh, and are going to take take you somewhere um yeah I, I don't know that's that's kind of my advice i think you know don't ever let tell someone tell you that you can't do something if you believe you can yeah um brilliant it's not always easy but but you'll get there and i think uh yeah if you'd have told me yeah five six years ago <laughs> one i'd be talking to you on a podcast yeah uh, this is a first for me uh secondly sharing with people my experience in property and how we've got there it's it's not a linear journey it's very much like you know zigzagged um you know from but 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 actually looking back at it each previous year has built on on the 
on the next and and uh, that's how we got there um, i'm also going to give a shameless plug for southport um, <laughs> as you expect. Um, if anyone hasn't been to um the, the northwest southport it is an amazing place to stay come and stay with us at the stanford um we would love you to check out our business I, I have i have stayed personally at the stanford and i can uh, i can certainly vouch for it it's a fabulous place to stay you guys have done an amazing job with that one yeah and uh you know quid pro quo uh, mark you're busy down on the south coast you know we're yeah. building a little um yeah uh, i guess staycation for us all uh, around the the uk where we can stay yeah. in each other's uh, property yeah <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Rick, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, like you just mentioned there, um, you're not a big one for plastering yourself all over social media and that kind of thing. But if people did want to sort of reach out to you or, or keep in touch with what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, I'm not on social media for uh, for, for those reasons. If you want to see what I'm up to, you can look at Channel 4. You see what I've done. <laughs> um, okay. Come and stay at the, the Stanford Southport. Um, and uh, we are on Instagram, uh, Blaney Property. Hang on, you have to cut that. What is it, sir? <laughs> <laughs> Do this we'll, we'll stick it in the show notes. It's fine. Okay, on, let's just go, um, yeah. go back. Okay, so you can write that. So yeah, you can follow us on you can follow us on socials on the Stanford Southport. Uh, that's the best place to to, to see us. Perfect. And um, yeah, hope to see you out there. Great stuff. Well, thank you so much for your time, Rick. I know you're a busy man. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and I will uh, speak to you again soon. Good to see you, Mark. Take care. Take care. How cool was that? So many useful nuggets and a really down-to-earth but inspiring account of what can be achieved when you have a strong vision for the future you're trying to realise. Thanks again to Rick for sharing his journey with us and thank you all for listening. If you would like to connect with Rick or any of our other fabulous guests and co-hosts, why not check out the growing Property Wealth System community over on Facebook. Please like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast fix. Thanks again for listening, and I will catch you on the next episode.